Welcome to Seducing Aliveness. I'm Jen Halterman. So happy to welcome you here as well as welcome my co-host, Tamara Yonker, to the air. Hi, Tamara. Here we go. Good morning. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) We've been on a roll. We're breaking up, man. We were packing. Now we're breaking up. Yep. 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 I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I appreciate the listeners. I just want to acknowledge the listeners who have been listening live or within 24 hours of the recordings. And those of you who are sharing your feedback, sharing your awarenesses, and what a contribution that is to moving forward. And one of the biggest pieces of awareness is that it. As we've been talking, it's almost as if intellectually people hear it, intellectually, 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 and that going into this breaking up conversation, they've been able to start to allow it to go deeper than just intellect. It's a nice idea. It's a nice concept. It's something I can reference. I can now you know, put it in categories, and I've got a label for it. But instead, they've started to acknowledge that, they're seeing how it's actually playing out in their lives. They're seeing how to embody it. They're experiencing it in their sensations. And that is, that's the way it goes. This isn't a, I mean, we do talk a lot, which is what a radio show does, but everything that we share, <laughs> even though it is expressed in words, is an invitation to be embodied. This isn't just a nice idea to have in your intellect to reference like a dictionary. It is an invitation to embody it. That's part of aliveness. That's a huge part of aliveness. And so if that is someplace that you're at, just keep practicing and see how you can embody it. How can you engage your senses in your experience and your, your body and your breath and movement and sound in your experience as you consider what this breaking up actually has the potential to create in your life and to change. And so I just wanted to put that out there. It's okay to embody it. This isn't just a nice idea. How about if we live it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that's where the change actually occurs is in the embodiment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, to me, what, what I've, what my experience is and what I witness with my, with my clients when I'm working them is, is uh, the change occurs at, the uh, energetic level, and then embodying it, embodying it takes it into action, into the living of it in your um, uh, realm of experience. So it's kind <laughs> yes. of that you know, like one precedes the other. You can try and do it the other way, but it's very forceful. I found that that's not very fun, but I don't like force. Maybe you do. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe there's people out there who enjoy that. Um, but, yeah, it's it's not rocket science. That's the thing. It's not rocket science, but it does take deliberate attention. So, <sighs> hmm. Yeah. So what's possible? If we actually consider what would it be like to embody this? What would it be like to engage in action with this, with what mm-hmm. it is that you're considering? Mm-hmm. Just curious. Without without judgment. That's kind right. of, you know, another one of those vital little keys is um, if you make a misstep, <laughs> if you miss the mark here and there, mm. that's okay. It's called practice. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right? 
Yeah, and when we talk about judgment, we're talking about anywhere you've concluded that you agree with something or disagree with something. Anything that's a conclusion is where we just, you know, what would it take to stay out of that conclusion and just be in curiosity? Mm. Just, yeah. just curiosity, like, oh, that didn't go the way I planned. Let me do a different thing. Oh, okay, well, that turned out this way. That was kind of delightful. I think I'll do more of that. Oh, I didn't enjoy that that much. I think I'll do less of that. And not have to go to the conclusion of whatever it is or make the thing that you were trying out wrong or bad or right and good, but instead really be in a place of, okay, do I want more of that or do I want less of that in my experiences? And take actions Mm -hmm. based on it. Because as we get into this, today we're talking about being wrong. Tomorrow we're talking about being right. So both of these shows are going to be full of both. (laughs) You can't really separate them out. And... So just notice where the this is kind of a hint of where your judgments lie. This is a hint of where yeah. your conclusions are. And as we go into this wrongness, you know, oh, my gosh. It yeah. is amazing how many people will say, I'm not worried about being wrong. I just really try to always be right. And they think <laughs> that that doesn't come with the other side of the coin of wrongness. Yeah. I I would uh, caution people to be aware of the minefield of shoulds. (laughs) Um, You know, sneaky shoulds and expectations, and and this is where uh, are very much related to this right-wrong. So, um, you know, I should have, oh, man, I should have done that. That's a way of making yourself wrong. That's a, you know, there really is a minefield of shoulds out there. Whenever you should yourself, you know, should on someone else, should on yourself, that's just a way of making wrong. I should have, damn it, why didn't I, I could have beaten yourself up. Just all versions of uh, flagellation. Yes, I'm just going to beat myself up. (laughs) Does it help? Yep. That's my big question. Does it help? Does wronging yourself help anything? Do you gain anything by it? Mm -hmm. And if you feel like you do gain something by it, I would encourage you to get curious about that and be like, well, what 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 do I believe about myself in the world that wronging myself Using my using making myself wrong as a motivator, if that's what you're using it for, works. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because and really, here's the interesting thing about this very conversation is we don't know what your intention, what your direction of your life, where it's going. We don't know that. That's up to you to know where is your life going. Because I can tell you that I actually do know some people that would stand and testify that they do know where they're going, and it requires that they live according to what they judge is right and wrong. That's their choice. That's what they're living. And, you know, that's, that works for them. That's not what we're no. saying is that you're wrong if blah, blah, blah. We are not wronging you for whatever. We're just inviting you to be aware of it. That's all it is, because if it's contributing to whatever you're doing, and that's what you've chosen, then enjoy and choose it all the way, like all the way. Don't dumb it down. Don't hide it and pretend like you're not. Like Choose it all the way, because 
for myself and what I've seen in the world and with clients and family and friends and my own experiments is when I try to intellectually override what I'm actually engaged with in my life, I create a, a war within myself. And so if I will go, you know what, this is what I'm choosing, and intellectually I'm going to stop beating the shit out of myself because I have this intellectual idea that it would be, you know, that this isn't correct, this isn't good. What happens is we go into this battle internally, and it doesn't serve. It actually does not change things. You just become your own abuser. Yep. And so I really want to be the invitation to say, if it's working for you, let it work for you. And be in that the the way. Yeah. That's the minefield of shoulds and expectations right there. (laughs) Right there. I should be choosing, I should be doing something different than what I'm doing. I should be choosing something different than what I'm choosing. What I'm choosing is wrong. I should be choosing this right thing over here. That's the minefield of shoulds and expectations. If, Mm -hmm. if, if you don't want to choose it, don't. Mm-hmm. nobody's this is the thing like at some point in our lives somebody was lording over us you know there was some bigger adult so someone in more of authority figure you know in our lives when we were little but that's not the case anymore so a lot of this stuff we've internalized and now we're the ones running the internal programs over and over and over and over again and so that's the invitation I think, you know, we've talked about a lot mm-hmm. is whatever you're choosing, enjoy the shit out of it. I, I had a, an amazing conversation with uh, someone yesterday and it was, ta- uh, you know, my divorce was 10 years ago. I've shared that before. And mm-hmm. it was really, that was the catalyst for me in a in a very big way. I had made a lot of sweeping changes in my life up until that point, And there was another one, you know, the sudden abrupt departure of my ex-husband from our marriage um, sent me into a what the fuck of magnitude. And I did a lot of reflection at that time because I'm the common denominator. I'm the one (laughs) this keeps seemingly keeps happening to, right? So I had the presence of mind to start going into inquiry and wondering about you know, how exactly do I keep creating this over and over and over? And I would say in the last 10 years, so I'm talking to my friend about, I don't know, all over the place, long conversation. And what I really came to is that everything I've been doing and choosing in the last 10 years has been in service to liberating myself. I really realized how much I was holding myself hostage by all kinds of beliefs and patterns of behavior and conclusions and expectations and minefields of shoulds and all of this stuff. And I was like, ah, no more. But that was my choice, right? I wanted to choose a different experience. Shutting yourself into thinking you should choose a different experience than the one you're currently enjoying is exactly what we're talking about, wronging yourself. So I love that you're introducing this as a, look, this this show is about bringing up with wrongness. So if you keep noticing, you know, week after week, month after month, year after year, that you're playing a mental mindfuck game with yourself that says I should be choosing something different than I am, (laughs) that is a recipe for misery, Enjoy whatever you're choosing. Enjoy the shit out of it. 
until mm-hmm. you are ready to choose something different. Because I tell you what, change happens in an instant when you choose it. Change happens in an instant when you choose it. So if you're not ready, this is where breaking up with wrongness can be a huge gift to you, maybe the biggest gift. I've talked about it before in um, in shows where I was a blackout drinker for 20 years. I never wronged myself, not once, not ever. Kind of fun to live that way, i got to say. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I was ready... When the thought started occurring to me that, hmm, maybe there's something else beyond this lifestyle. When I was ready, when I desired it, when it came intrinsically from within me, not because someone said I should, not because somebody judged me, not be, not for any other reason that I wanted a different experience. I was like, huh, wonder what else my life could be like. It was really easy to change. It was really easy to stop drinking. I literally was like, it was about as easy as changing the channel on the television, i got to say. <laughs> but when you're shooting yourself, yep. when you're like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be drinking this much. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. I should choose a different lifestyle. I should choose a healthier lifestyle. I should choose. If you do that to yourself, that's miserable. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the one of the things that we're illustrating is love the shit out of whatever you're choosing until you're ready to choose something different. Because then when you're ready Mm -hmm. to choose something different, you can choose it with ease, and it won't be like forcing yourself to force yourself to do something you really don't want to do yet. Break up with that wrongness of you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, yes, all of that. You know, one of the things that I learned by living it, by experiencing it, and and I actually didn't realize it when it was happening. It was one of those hindsight 2020 things that caught up to me is that the, the changes I made because of judgment actually meant that I moved forward with judgment, not the change. The judgment is what kept me acting on the change, not a true choice the judgment did. So every choice that I made that was because the judgment said it was the right thing to do and everything else was the wrong, I was engaging with judgment as my barometer from then on. I actually was not creating change. I was having new experiences with judgment as my guide. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. That's the difference that that I'm saying. If you notice you're doing something because you're judging that it would be wrong not to do it, really check in. Because what you're doing is you're starting, you're engaging a relationship with judgment. It's like, okay, you're going to break up with being wrong by having an affair with judgment, moving on forward, and judgment is going to be the voice whispering in your ear, and you're going to be able to pretend that it's not about being wrong anymore. You're just going to pretend that you know, this is a new choice. This is an elevated choice. This is something new. It's not. You just have a new, yeah, a new Simon whispering in your ear. That's not the choice that we're inviting you into. You know, it's, it's so interesting how many people will say, I quit smoking after years and years of smoking. I quit smoking. I quit smoking. I quit smoking. I quit smoking. I hate smokers. I hate being around smokers. Every time I hate the smell because they make smoking so wrong. 
And then there are people who say, I just don't choose to smoke anymore, so I'm a non-smoker. I go out throughout my life as somebody who doesn't smoke, and they don't engage with whether somebody's smoking or not because smoking isn't the defining factor of the judgment they go into the world with. Yeah. Brilliant distinction. Really brilliant distinction. Because if you have to make something wrong in order to break up with it, like you said, smoking, you know, what I'm choosing is wrong. I shouldn't smoke. I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to stop smoking because it's a wrongness. Well, then everybody who still smokes is wrong, and you have to keep this judgment in place to separate yourself from the wrongness of choosing that, like, forever. To me, it's a, it, it, it's harder because there's an element of force in there. We've been talking about judgment as a forceful energy, a forceful energy to create separation rather than choice, which is uh, an ease. If you choose, like I'll just use my example with drinking, I didn't make it wrong. I didn't make what I was doing wrong. I just wanted a different experience. So when I chose mm-hmm. to stop drinking, like I said, it was really easy because choice is easy. F- judging something and forcing yourself to stop makes it feel hard, makes it feel her- Herculean, like you need this Herculean strength to hold that force in place to ensure that you don't do it anymore. And the thing was, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was a year, maybe a year and a half later, I don't remember how long it was, and I was like, eh, I think I want to have a drink again. And, and I did, and it was no big deal. I drink, I don't drink, it's just a choice. And I don't make all the people in the world who drink, you know, wrong. Like, people can drink around me, they can be blackout drinkers, <laughs> like, it's not wrong. Mm-hmm. I have total ease with that whole thing because I never made it wrong. I didn't make my choice wrong, I didn't make other people's choices wrong. If this is something you desire is ease rather than, like, I have to, for- I see judgment is it's like a it's a it's a enforcement of deprivation you know i shouldn't smoke i shouldn't drink i shouldn't eat that cookie i shouldn't eat that donut i shouldn't this i shouldn't that i should be this i should be that i should 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 shouldn't should shouldn't all over the place and it's like there's this enforcement of deprivation that is in place and then every time you're faced with that thing you're depriving yourself of through ju- through judgment and force it's like i mean this is what's so interesting to me about people who say it's so hard. It's so hard. My mm-hmm. mother is um, 75 years old. I think she stopped smoking when I was a teenager. And she still mm-hmm. to this day says it's hard for her. And I, and I, it's mm. because it wasn't a choice. It was a should. It came from a should. Mm-hmm. It didn't come from a place of desire for her to not smoke. It came from I shouldn't be smoking. It's disgusting. It's mm-hmm. gross. It's a filthy habit. And so for how yep. many years is that? Do the math. She's still holding that herself in that enforcement of deprivation through judgment. Yikes. Mm-hmm. There is another way. Right. Just saying. <clears throat> right. Excuse me. Um, wow. I love this, this, being able to talk about this from this perspective and listen to your, you know, your shares and your experiences and then feel into my own and Really be in the awareness of every single time that I judged a myself as being wrong, so therefore I would quit doing something and stop, never, ever, ever lasted. It just didn't. I had to keep judging myself in order to keep that in play. And then I look at all the places that I judged somebody else and something they were doing is wrong, expecting them to change. And I think about all of the, you know, 
spouses that have quit doing drugs or quit smoking or drinking or whatever it is all to sneakily go back and do it. And now they, they know where to hide it from. They know where to hide the activity from. I know who to hide it from. It's the, it's the one who is standing there with the, the measuring stick of wrongness. That's who I hide it from. Everybody else, I don't have that, but boy, do I go into that. How do I hide this? How do I hide this from them? Because they will judge it's wrong. So then I'm living at the effect of what is their judgment. And that, if you can't hear how fucking insane that, um, God, talk about a setup for perfect, oh, I have anxiety disorder. Like, that's a perfect setup. You don't have anxiety Mm -hmm. disorder. You're having an affair with judgment. Mm -hmm. Judgment's whispering in your ear nonstop. Time for a breakup. You don't need a pill to numb that shit out. That's telling you you're dishonoring yourself. Yep. Like if that's the crazy that's whispering in your ear, it's not anxiety. It's you betraying you over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Is it time yep. to break up with the judgment? Because really, truthfully, if you would break up with judgment and then start choosing based on what you want to create in your life, all the shit that betrays you would fall away so easily. You wouldn't even notice it was gone. You would not notice it was gone. So if you are missing what is not in your life, it's because it's not there because you made a choice based on judgment. So if you let something go in your life because you judged it as wrong and you're struggling with that, it's not there because of the judgment, not because of what is true for you. You may not be done with that yet. You might need to consider that. So true, so true. And I'm going to say that again because I think it's worth repeating what you just said. You don't have an anxiety disorder. You are having a love affair with judgment. I find that when I've worked with clients in the past who who claim to, they use the label because you have to interpret the sensations in your body in some way. So they'll say, I'm, I have, you know, so much anxiety. And every single time without, I mean, this is, and I mean every single time 100% as we've explored this, because that's essentially what we do when, you know, when I'm coaching and facilitating, we're exploring. Well, let's take a look at that. Is this really as true as you think it is? Um, how much of your thinking is actually creating your reality? And if you speak, get really curious about what you think, might there be a different truth underneath that you haven't allowed yourself to perceive? And when we start poking around and asking questions, what we discover 100% of the time is that the person has essentially, they're living, they're not living true to themselves at all in any way, shape, or form. They're doing things they think they should be doing. They're doing things other people want them to be doing. They're uh, making choices that they have no interest in making, but, you know, some, it's what someone else would have them choose. They are in situations every single day where they have outsourced their inner authority 100%. You know what? Mm-hmm. I would live in massive anxiety if I did that too. If I outsourced yep. my inner authority 100%, I'd be I'd, – maybe I'd even I'd, – I don't know what I would do. That would be – that's about as <laughs> – not fun as I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> that gives me 
have anxiety I'm, thinking about it. Right? <laughs> exactly. I'm starting to be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> I spent the last 10 years in service deliberation, and now you're asking me to go back? Oh, no, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. great. It was. It was starting to give me anxiety just thinking about it. And, and what if you're not afraid of what you think you are? You're actually afraid of what you think. <laughs> Oh, shit. Damn it. That's so good. What if you're... Yeah. That's like... What if you're not actually afraid of... Yeah. What if you're not actually afraid of what you think you are? You're afraid of what you think. This is what anxiety is all about. You have anxiety about the things you're thinking about might happen if you actually chose for you instead of what others would have you choose. Mm Mm-hmm. It's peril. You are paralyzing yourself with thinking. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's a pretty hellish way to live. I gotta say. <laughs> and those clients that I have worked with who have made the commitment to themselves that I'm going to start choosing for me, no matter what it takes, and and start being and doing in service to liberation, liberating themselves from the from the um the chains that they have inflicted upon themselves. Oh my God, does their life change and oh my god, does the level of liveness and joy skyrocket. Mhm. Right. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna address something that I've heard as feedback from listeners with this conversation of the drama triangle and that is they are finding themselves paralyzed in oh shit that's a victim oh shit that's a villain oh god I'm being the hero oh my god I don't I don't know what the fuck to say or do now because I'm trying so hard to avoid I don't want to be wrong by being on the triangle (laughs) okay I can't even tell you how many conversations I've had about this in the last few weeks so here's what I would say to you is When did judgment creep in? When did you start judging the victim, villain, and hero? Because that's when the, oh, shit, I shouldn't do that kicked in. So instead, erase it and notice. Delete the file that says it's wrong. (laughs) Just paralyzed on the triangle. That's good in the chat room. Delete the file that says it's wrong and just invite yourself to notice. Oh, fuck, I was rocking that victim. Oh, my God, did you see how sexy I was as a hero right then? Fuck, I'm a good villain. Man, I can make somebody feel like shit in a heartbeat. Notice it. Acknowledge it. Because when you judge it, okay, you're moving forward with judgment. If you notice it and you notice, wow, that was really awesome, and now I'm throwing up? Wow, what is this? You'll also notice where you no longer want to choose that. Mm-hmm. Instead of going to moving forward in your affair with judgment, you will start noticing like, oh my gosh, I notice I'm really good at this. I notice I choose it a lot. And what will happen is you will slowly start to embody it and you will make choices of, nope, not doing that anymore. Not because it's wrong, but because I know what it's going to create and I don't want to create that. Yeah, that's that's the bottom line, and and that's what I just wrote in the chat room is there is a giant difference between living in a mind field of shoulds, 
oh, no, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be doing that. Should, 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 should. And letting your desire to have a different experience lead you. One requires judgment, and the other is absent of judgment. So I'll just share my own personal experience of choosing to get off the triangle. Like I, I really was like, I don't want to have this experience anymore. I see what it creates. I, I desire connection. I've been sharing this all week. This, it keeps coming up in each of the shows where I realized how it didn't feel good to judge and separate. All my life, all mm-hmm. I wanted was connection, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm sabotaging that at every turn with my judgment, which creates separation. It's not what I want. I'm actually, everything I'm doing is counterproductive to what mm-hmm. I truly desire. So if I got really clear and I was like, okay, I want connection. That's what I desire. And I'm, I, have, I have gone about that trying to create connection in the most fucked up possible way by playing all these <laughs> roles on the triangle. Mm-hmm. So I went off. So when I would catch myself, instead of having it be a should about I shouldn't do this, I should do that, I literally just stopped myself. I just stopped mid-sentence, mid-action, mid-whatever, and I would just stop. And I'd be like, okay, wait, what do I want right now? Oh, yeah, this is about connection. I desire more connection. And I would just drop into my desire of connection and allow myself to get vulnerable. This was the key for me. To drop into what I truly desired and then be willing to be vulnerable and either reveal transparently what I I was like, you know, what's what about this moment is making me jump on the triangle. And, like, I'll say it, right, to whoever I'm with in that moment. I'll be like, okay, here's what I'm noticing. I'm starting to play my old game again. I'm starting to feel uh, like I need to control this situation. I'm starting to feel blah, 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 and I don't want to do that anymore. What I really desire here is connection. I'll, I'll say it out loud. That's what I mean by getting vulnerable. Reveal what's going on inside me where the terror because it was always some fear of of something. I'm not going to get what I want. I'm going to lose what I have. It was always some fear of something that had me jump back on the triangle to control. Mm-hmm. I was going to control through one of those roles. And so I would just stop myself mid-moment and be yep. like, wait, I'm letting the desire lead. And the letting desire lead requires me to tap into my vulnerability Reveal it to myself, first and foremost, and possibly reveal it to the other person that I'm in, uh, engaging with in that moment. Maybe not always, but sometimes. And that mm-hmm. was life-changing, to be able to stop in that moment and say to my partner, I'm noticing I'm starting to play my old game again. Because that's what I did. Instead of judging myself... I just was like, oh, this is the game that I've been playing that I thought, as I just said, I I had the mistaken notion that judgment and separation was going to get me what I wanted. That was just a big oopsie. I didn't judge myself. I was just like, oh, now I know something different. I'm just now aware that that's never going to get me what I want. So rather than judge myself, I just was like, okay, I want to choose because I'm very pragmatic. I'm a very pragmatic person. I like what works. So if that's not working, 
I'm just going to start choosing what works, but I don't have to judge myself in the face of it all. Doesn't work? Cool. What does work? This? Great. Going to start choosing that now. That Mm -hmm. is literally what I've been doing for years. Just, I mean, first of all, you have to notice you're on the triangle. Sounds like y'all are having a really good awareness now of where you're on the triangle. Awesome. Awesome. So if you're committed to stopping playing those games with yourself and with others, stop yourself in that moment. And just be like, oh, there I go again, starting to go play play one of my games. What do I really desire here? And for me, it was connection. Now, it may Mm -hmm. be something different for you. I don't know. But for me, it was connection. And when I hold connection as my highest priority, allowance is easy. Mm -hmm. If I hold right, being right, getting what I want, getting my way, if I hold all those things as my highest priority, mm, then I might have little blessed ease jumping off the triangle. Because allowance mm-hmm. really is the lubricant of change. And if you really do want to hop off the triangle, cultivating allowance is going to be a very useful tool. And that's one of those elements of intimacy that we talked about months ago. Honor, trust, allowance, vulnerability, and gratitude. Mm-hmm. Appreciation. Yep. Yeah. I, you know, it's so interesting. There's a, there's some yabbas, there's some whatever it is, and here's, here's the, the gift, hey? Here's the gift in this whole damn thing. If you have been, you know, aware, if you're like, oh my gosh, I do see where I play the, the victim, and I don't like it, but I don't know how not to play the victim, you are not going to be kind to yourself in any way if you choose the judgment that we've been talking about. What will be kind is if you actually engage with the victim, okay? Like, why am I choosing that? What am I actually hoping to get out of this? And then just notice. Because so many people are getting kind of stuck in the label instead of looking underneath what the that driving energy is underneath it. Well, I believe I'm wrong all the time. I believe I'm broken. I believe I'm fucked up. I believe I'm crazy. I, you know, that is what's driving the victim. So can you imagine if what's driving the victim is an innate belief that you are broken and you try then to not be the victim and you put on maybe a mask of, you know, powerful, well, now you're broken powerful. And, you, you know, you try dressing up like a clown. Well, now you're a broken clown. Because what's underneath that is there still, which is why it's like, you know, really, I hope you don't get stuck on the label. Look at the driving force underneath. What is underneath it? Where, what are you trying to create here? If, you're trying, if you look underneath there and you, try to, you realize, I'm trying to create a world where I'm not broken, well, shit, imagine how that could change your course. If you're trying not to be broken and that's your focus, notice, go shopping for groceries, trying not to be broken, go order food, Try not to be broken, cook for your family, Try not to be broken. If you can become aware that that's a driving force, 
and you can really look at it and not judge it, you will recognize that there's an entire different vibration, entire different driving force. If you say, if I weren't broken, what would I be? Well, I want to create wholeness. Now, go grocery shopping, creating wholeness. Cook a meal, creating wholeness. Have a conversation with your friend, creating wholeness. That is why awareness is key. It's not the damn label. It's uh, what is underneath. Tamara wanted connection. Okay, so she was creating connection through control. That's it. She had to become aware of it so she could stop all the control behavior because it was sabotaging all the connection she truly desired. Mm -hmm. So what in you has when did you decide, make a, you know, a vow or a decision or a belief or whatever, that wrongness, being wrong, is the fuel that's driving your life and everything you create? Because if wrongness is in your vibration, in your core, in your belief system, in your thoughts, in your emotions, in your spirit, in all of it, if you have, like, drilled a hole and implanted that sucker... You know, you got the chip of wrongness in everything you do. It is in everything. It is not just at work, and it is not just in, you know, your body. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So water you swim in. Yeah. It's the filter through which you see the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So what do you want to create is what I'd ask. If wrongness weren't it's, an issue, what do you want to create? Keep asking yourself that. What do I want to create here? Yeah, it's, because to me, here's kind of one of the, the, the fundamental pieces that really shifted my life. You can sit and navel gaze all day long about your wrongness for years. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you can just, it's like going on a witch hunt for yourself. Where am I wrong? Where oh, I'm wrong over here and I'm wrong over there and here's where I take fault for that. If, if something goes wrong, it must be my fault and I did it and I'm wrong and I'm wrong and I'm wrong and I'm not good enough and I'm inadequate and on and on and on and on and on. You can navel gaze about that shit forever. <laughs> here's what's really powerful though is if you put your attention on something else. <laughs> I know that sounds really simple. But mm-hmm. it can be that simple. What are you putting your attention on? So if you're putting your attention on navel-gazing all your wrongness, what? here's another possibility. Put your attention on what you desire to create, as you just said. What do I desire? What's the experience I desire to have? Mm-hmm. So for me, starting to put my attention on connection and then – being really curious about what actually creates that, not the bullshit that I thought created that, and being willing to experiment and be willing to go into, you know, okay, here we go, another experiment going into my laboratory called my life. Mm-hmm. Experimenting, when you're experimenting, here's what I love about experimenting, by the way, you can't fuck up. <laughs> you're going into the laboratory to do an experiment. You don't know. That's the definition of experiment. I don't know what this is going to create. I'm doing an experiment. Mm-hmm. I loved that I gave myself permission years ago to start experimenting. Because I was really, really aware of what didn't work. I was like, oh, my God, I've got decades worth of crap I know doesn't work. So I'm going to start experimenting and see 
what creates if I do this? What creates if I do that? What gets created if I do this and that? And the other thing, and on and on and on. And, and like you said earlier in the show, just be in the play of it. Oh, I wasn't, I'm not really fond of what that created. I'll create less of it. I may never choose it again. Ooh, I like what this created. I'll choose more of it. And what I discovered is in the vulnerability in a place I never would have looked. <laughs> but someone sort of gave me a challenge many years ago to be vulnerable. And I was like, okay, I don't know about that. Seven years ago, somebody gave me a challenge to try out and give some experimentation of vulnerability. And I was like, yeah, I don't even know what the hell that is. I don't know what you're talking about, but okay, I'll go experiment with it. And the more that I allowed myself to be vulnerable and choose into that space of vulnerability, the more delicious living became. And I was like, oh, yes, more of this, please. Because it was the opposite of what I had been choosing that I didn't like. All of the judgment and separation, I was like, not feel good, doesn't feel good, don't like it. And then I choose to experiment with vulnerability, and I was like, oh, I've been looking in all the wrong places all this while. Here, in the space of vulnerability, connection is like pretty much almost automatic. It almost just comes with the territory. And I started to get a true taste of that which I had desired in the space of vulnerability. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'll have more of that, please. And, I, mm. and that's not to say that it, it was it – was, it didn't require some deliberate choosing, some practice to lean into that space of vulnerability because I tell you, it would make me, you know, sometimes I was, I, I couldn't say the things that were hard for me to say that were so revealing. I would find myself, you know, like in that place of nervousness and, oh my God, and what's going to happen and what if, and what if, and what if, and what if, you know, it's all everywhere. I was afraid of what I was thinking. Yep. And every single time I would and so and so many times I would preface it. I would say, Okay, I'm about to say something that's really hard for me to say. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm it. about yeah, to re- I love that. Yeah, I and I would. Like it would make it easier for me if I would just say, I'm having a hard time saying this. I'm I'm it might take me five minutes, 20 minutes to get this out of my mouth because this is a very vulnerable ask or this is a very vulnerable reveal. And I would say, this is is something I've never said out loud before. This is something I've never shared with anybody before. This is something that I've had a lot of shame about. Mm -hmm. I would preface it. Now, I'm also aware of who I'm, you know, choosing to be vulnerable with because there are some people that – are are playing uh, a role of uh, bully <laughs> or villain, mm-hmm. and I would be like, mm, no, I'm not going to get on the triangle with them, so I'm just not going to reveal myself in this vulnerable way to them because they'll clobber me. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not about making them wrong, and this is not necessarily about protecting myself. It's just recognizing this is not a person who is capable of receiving my vulnerableness in a gentle, kind, tender way. And if I am receiving my vulnerability in a gentle, kind, tender way, because it's 
so just in its tiny little emergence. You know, I don't want somebody to come along with their big old heavy boot and go just going to fucking step on it and extinguish it. Right. I am caring for it in that You're gentle, right. kind, tender way. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so now, now that I'm very comfortable with my vulnerability after years and years and years of practice, I can be vulnerable even in the face of the greatest villain and know that they have no, I'm completely immune to them. There's mm-hmm. nothing that they could do that's going to make me feel like they're clobbering me anymore. I'll be like, yeah, good luck with that, Mr. Villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, one of the things, and I really admire my wife for this. She gave me permission to to um, share this a while back, and I she she was in this habit of wrongness. She was really in this like habitual, not even aware of it, and it looked like you know it could have been blamed on an ex who was extremely abusive. It could have been cha- blamed on a childhood experience that was abusive. It looked like all those things could have been blamed, but. The problem is none of those were current. And so mm-hmm. she she came and she was in that space of, look, I really want to address this, and I would like to create an agreement of while I address this. And so we started playing the wrong game. And it was between she and I, and eventually we ended up sharing it with some of our closest friends. And what we would do is, we would pick a weekend day when we were going to spend our whole day together. And we and she would go through the day acknowledging everywhere she was trying to not be wrong by saying, I'm wrong about this. So what was happening was inside of her, she believed she was wrong. And she was acting it out by verbalizing and trying to be right because she was so afraid of the wrongness that she was judging herself inside. So she engaged with me in a way that she was acknowledging how she believed she was wrong, even though the behavior looked like, see, I'm fine. I'm good. I did it right. Right. I did it right. Right. You're going to tell me I did it right. I did it right. But really what she was experiencing was that love affair inside with the judgment of wrongness that was looked like anxiety and panic and anxiousness and all these behaviors so she was having that coin of both sides of this flipping around and around and around inside of her. So we played the wrong game. And it was like, um, you know, we'd go out to eat and she'd say, I think I want to go eat at, you know, Red Robin and get a burger. And I'm wrong about that. And I, it wasn't my job to do anything other than just to witness. Okay. But I was the witness for this. And when she heard throughout that day, and we did this a few times, we both were playing, how often she was making a choice or saying something or engaging or justifying because of her fear of wrongness, that's when she became aware of just how much the vibration of being wrong was running her life. And when she became aware of that, that's when she started looking underneath all of the proof that she had created in her life of how wrong she was by having relationships with abusive people, by engaging with narcissists, by engaging with sociopaths, by engaging with the bullies, because they would always prove what she believed true about her inside. And she quit making them the ones with the power. She just saw that they were enrolled for something that she required. 
They had a job. They had a role to play. It was to prove she was wrong. They did their job beautifully. Awesome. She's no longer, no longer the victim of that. And instead, she started going, wow, I, I spent a lot of the years of my life, you know, trying to prove that I'm wrong, gathering evidence, having the proof, all of that. That's exactly the game she was playing out. And so once she realized that, that's when she started releasing herself from the bondage of that shame and the blame and the belief and the fucked up nature that she had, she had been living according to. It wasn't, it looked all external, but this is internal. If this playing out externally, it is always starting on the inside. It's always within you. That's what started the process. And so we do that, you know, periodically we still, Hey, you want to play the wrong game today? Yeah, let's do it. It's, it's like a, status check like how we doing you know how wrong can I be today and am I willing to be wrong and and really be like I'm wrong about this and see if I'm afraid of the judgment that comes about that am I willing to say to the waiter hey you know what I just, I said I wanted a salad and I was wrong about that I would like soup and notice what emotions arise do I get embarrassed do I feel like I have to justify it do I apologize a bazillion times all of that like What comes up? How afraid of that judgment am I still? And I discover how I'm playing with this, and so does she, by being willing to be wrong. Mm. So so powerful to make it a game. Mm -hmm. So powerful to make it a game because play is only possible in the absence of judgment. So when Mm -hmm. you make something a game then you're playing and there's it, there's a there's a whole playing field where judgment doesn't exist where you can start shifting noticing and shifting and noticing and shifting without having to land on the minefield of shoulds and should nots <laughs> right yeah mm-hmm. in fact one of the things that that I've done is so Sherry's a musician she's very good she performs regularly and all this stuff and so I have not performed. I had a lot of judgment in my life about singing, and so I shut it down in myself. So I, it has come out since we've gotten together, and I've started singing and performing with her, and we've written some songs together. And one of the things that I notice is if I'm on stage, if I'm about to perform, whether it is with friends, with family, or actually at a house concert or something like that, if I notice that, that fear of judgment coming up, I say to myself, how fucked up can I do this? How wrong can I do this? Every damn time I'm willing to be wrong, I'll be damned if that stage fright just dissipates like a fart, man. It's gone. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, hey, that's cool. That's the worst. Like, hey, how wrong can I do this? Every time I do it before I pour, you know, paint on a canvas, I'm like, how wrong can this be? And, the di- and all of the conclusions and all the judgment just dissipate. They're gone. Because they no longer have any power over me because I'm willing to experience whatever happens and then I can truly get into creation. And so I invite the listeners, play that game. See what happens for you. Because when I do, like say I go on stage and I really do mess it up, never have I gone to the wrongness of me. Instead, I laugh. Like, I did that fuck up really good. Like, well done, Jen. You know, like, way to forget the words. (laughs) You know (laughs) 
and I'm in play with it, like, awesome, way to go. And I am okay to continue on because I already gave myself permission to be wrong to begin with, so it doesn't stop me. I don't hit that, oh, I screwed it up. It's not even available. It's not a place to pump my brakes like when you see a cop. Oh, I, oh, I screwed up. It's like, yep, I was speeding. Hello, officer. <laughs> you know, there's no judgment. It's like, da-da-da. Yep, that was me, not paying attention to the speed. That was me, forgetting the words on stage. Yep, that was me. And guess what? Judgment has nothing to do with it. That's just, this is the experience I created. Here I am. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. When I was when I was younger, I, I didn't speak much. Um, I didn't speak certainly in front of groups or, or people. Uh didn't ever want to be at the front of the room or, or you know, speaking to a, a group. And um, fast forward, you know, 30 years, and I speak now in front of groups all the time with ease. Uh, I uh, What I recognize is the biggest difference in that, because I had a friend, she, it was about, mm, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, she commented on how easy that was for me. And mm-hmm. I said, well, and, you know, so we kind of had a conversation about it because this is another coaching friend. And so we were kind of like, hmm, what, what, why is that easy for me and not for her kind of thing? And I said, well, are you, I asked her, I said, are you willing to be the fool? Are you willing to, you know, be somebody that people laugh at, make fun of? And she's like, uh, no. <laughs> and I said, well, I am. <laughs> I'm totally willing to be the fool. I'm willing to laugh because I laugh at myself, right? I, I'm actually amused by myself quite often. I'm totally willing to be mm-hmm. the fool. I'm willing to make a mistake. I'm willing to laugh at myself. I'm willing to be like, oh, yeah, I totally fucked that up. Um, and it creates a space of ease when I'm in front of other people, uh, speaking to large groups. And mm-hmm. that's the space of non-judgment, right? And if if yep. you're not, like, the whole idea of him being embarrassed hasn't occurred to me since I was probably 14. Mm. It's just somewhere along the way, I like took. Yep. Em- I was like, "Well, embarrassment requires judging me in some way. So if I'm mm-hmm. willing to be the fool, if I'm willing to make a mistake, if I'm willing to fuck it up, then there's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's just a oopsie, mm-hmm. do over, try again. Right. It's amazing and- how this space of allowance, can- if you desire that as your experience, then. That you can sort of give up the navel gazing of wrongness. I have found mm-hmm. that when I put my attention on the experience that I desire to have, there's so much more ease in creating that experience rather than trying to figure out what's wrong with me or what you know why am I doing this da 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 da. Like just just choose the experience you want to have and go create that. Put your attention right. on creating that, and it may take time. I'm not saying it happens in five seconds. Mm-hmm. But over a period of time, I found that I had, I mean, for a person who never spoke, rarely ever spoke, and certainly didn't speak in front of other people or groups or, you know, 200, being a a keynote speaker, (laughs) like somewhere along the way, that changed for me. And now I can speak in front of people with ease. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why I went into improv. I think that's why I did a little time Mm. in the comedy world is because, when I realized I was afraid of people laughing at me and that mm. I wasn't engaged in the laugh, that's when I was like, what the fuck? 
well, how about if I just purposely get people to laugh at me and say, how, how crazy can I be to have an audience laugh? And how crazy can I be to have an audience not laugh and be okay with it? And so I did. I did stand up for quite a while because I, that's really how I broke up with the embarrassment factor of really being on stage and intentionally being a screwball. Like it's how I quit judging myself for being goofy. It, all of it is I engage with intentionally like, yeah, let's just do this on purpose, which is why I'm always like, do it on purpose. <laughs> if you're really afraid of being a villain, then for God's sake, do it on purpose and know that you're doing it because you'll see how you play villain and victim and hero and, you know, dumbass mm-hmm. and all of it so much more clearly when you're doing it on purpose and it will make your choices so much more clear to you that than you ever would by judging it, which creates separation. So you can't see it clearly. Judgment acts as a cloak of invisibility. Mm-hmm. It isn't allowing you to see it. So do it on purpose so you can see clearly what you're creating, and then you become the creator of magnitude that you truly be because you're choosing what you're creating every second yep. of the day. Yep. That's all the invitation is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It might be more fun. Just saying. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And and that's the whole thing is, you know, if you really do struggle with this, you know, get some support. Contact Tamara and myself. Get some support because this is exactly what it's about for us. We, are, we can only share so much here on the shows. And if you feel like, you know, you're paralyzed in – I am so terrified of what it is that I'm aware of now. Reach out and get some support, you know, so you can take some forward action and really start to embody the change that you want to be in your world. Because if you have been locked in on the drama triangle in any role, if you realize that you, you know, you're in a long-term commitment with being wrong, if you realize that you are really devoted to worshiping the sacred cow of being right, whatever it is, and you're realizing that and you want to make a change, it is good to have support from outside mm-hmm. that where somebody isn't buying into your cloak of invisibility judgment game you're playing. So there's just mm-hmm. an invitation to get felt like a good time to share that. So all of our information is on the show detail. It's, you know, you can get a hold of us each on Facebook and the links are there. So Tamara, another awesome, fun-filled conversation, you know. This just has been a rich week. Rich, rich, rich week of conversation. I've just, mm, it's like squeezing the nectar out of all of the deliciousness and just taking it all in. It's been yummy. And we have another day tomorrow. (laughs) Right? We do. We have another day. Tomorrow it's all about being right. Being right. Yeah. So we're going to continue on with the right-wrong theme, but tomorrow we are going to focus on being right. And what is that creating in your life? And what do you want to create? And what is the underlying vibration that goes on that you might be pretending you're not aware of? So we hope you'll be back tomorrow here on Seducing Aliveness. We will be live saying Bat Station. <laughs> and we are your hosts, Tamara Yonker over there, Jen Halterman here, and we will talk to you then. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.